Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24, and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Rosgem, and I'll be your host. My guest today is Suzanne Logan, and she's from British Columbia and has been sober since 1991. She is a mother, foster mother, and sponsor, plus Suzanne runs her own Seek Purpose podcast and a yearly event called Just for 24. She has so much to share about walking through pain and in healing her 30-year marriage, plus she shares about a profound spiritual experience she had in her 11th year of sobriety. Hi, Suzanne. <laughs> so glad to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? I am doing very, re- actually, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks, Maureen. Good. I know you here. just had a really big weekend with um, your Seek Purpose and Just 424. I'm going to ask you about that in a little in a little bit, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are before we get into your story? Uh, what do you do for a living and what are some of your hobbies? Anything about your family you want to tell us? Feel free. Awesome. Yeah, I, um, as far as for my career, I had uh, about 20 years experience in direct marketing and sales uh, with uh, major newspapers across North America, but specifically across Canada. And I walked away from my career because I also um, I raised a daughter uh, with special needs. And um, we didn't realize that she was epileptic until she was about 12 years old. And so I had to make a decision at that time to kind of take a look at my family. I was kind of going into that empty nest when my son's turned 16 and I'm like, ah, so I actually am a stay home mom, caretaker, uh, foster parent. Wow. How how many (laughs) children do you have? I have three and uh, one's 31 uh, and he is maybe a grandmother about seven years ago, which is amazing. Nice. Um, he is fabulous. He's in recovery, uh, just celebrated uh, 11 years. So wow. That's exciting. Uh, my other son is 27 and he is a photographer that travels the world. Well, maybe not right now yeah. <laughs> because of the COVID, but him and his uh, girlfriend are influencers. And my daughter who's special needs is 25 today. Yeah. That's fantastic. And did you say you foster too? I foster to a 13 year old and his older brother uh, is 17. And we also have another uh, person with disabilities that's nonverbal that lives with us in our home. Oh my goodness. You have your hands full, don't you? It's wonderful. It's, it's so wonderful in all the right ways. And also I do the podcast. And I think that's what's so great about Seek Purpose, the podcast, is I just always have wanted to do something um, positive for the community to spread a message. And my life has always been kind of about seeking purpose, uh, seeking purpose in all areas of my life. And this was perfect opportunity to be able to work from home, pick my own schedule, (laughs) have fun. And you're doing it. Yeah. 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 So tell me about the Seek Purpose podcast. What is it? What's the focus? It's all about purpose. Yeah. Finding uh, your purpose. Yeah. Seek Purpose is um, it's all about finding purpose. But honestly, where I found the most 
through my pain and my broken is where I discovered the true essence of who I truly am. Do you know what I mean? Often the healing and the growth that happens in those painful moments. Uh, I then was able to tap into what I was passionate about. And from my passion uh, has been turned into purpose. And so that's kind of seek purpose. Our stories that we bring to the podcast uh, is all about people who have had the most unbelievable uh, triumphs in their lives through their broken and uh, are doing incredible things in their in their personal lives in their business lives. And we just want to be able to say once you find your pathway to purpose, or pardon me, your pathway to recovery, (laughs) because everybody has a different way to recovery. We don't do the recovery thing at Seek Purpose, but what we do talk about is um, once they do get recovery, what is your purpose now? I love it. So I know that you are in recovery. Let's talk. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story. How did you figure out that you were an alcoholic and what happened? How did you hit your bottom and start on the clean and sober journey? Uh, I actually, my story is most people are like, oh my gosh, I got arrested. I, you know, was thrown up every day. I was having DTs. I couldn't stop drinking every day. I mean, all these stories that I've heard that were just so, um, no question that people knew when they came in to seek a pathway of recovery, that they were an alcoholic. I did not have that story and that experience. I came in, uh, and I caught alcoholism from listening to other alcoholics. I never, I came in with friends to a recovery support group and I started um, experiencing a little bit about what, what is it alcoholic? <laughs> what is alcoholism? And when I finally started quiz, uh, questioning myself, I decided to ask another alcoholic, hey, how do you know you're an alcoholic? And uh, he told me some specific things that happen when you drink. And he took me through this moment that I actually could identify and go, oh, okay. Well, when I get drunk, I can stop. There's no problem with me stopping. I'm not an alcoholic. Uh, And I drank one other time with that information in mind on December 18th, 1991. And I was in that moment, in that evening, no question, I went psychotic. I could not stop drinking. It terrified me. All of the things that I heard in these meetings for months before. um, Yeah, I I identified myself as an alcoholic on that day. And so you couldn't stop drinking, even though you wanted to, and you had the knowledge you couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I absolutely couldn't stop. And, you know, my denial was so thick and I justified everything I did. You know, the, the way the things I did in my life was always blamed on my boss, my mother, my boyfriend, my friends, you know, the bar owner. Like there's always something that I was finding excuses for. I had the blame thrower out every chance I got. Uh, and I, I had so many masks I put on. I even had a hard time to even decipher who I was. Um, because every moment of every day, I was lying and to myself and to everybody else around me. Um, so, so even though you got in a little bit different, um, do you remember the first time you drank? Uh, yeah, the first time I absolutely drank. Now being in recovery for years and now <laughs> thawing out and understanding the disease and, and the times I did drink. Uh, when I answered those 20 questions that the doctor back in those days gave us, I answered seven yeses. 
Okay. So I justified. Today, I answered 20 yeses. Oh. <laughs> so, well, they say even if you answer one yes, you probably have a problem. I know. That's right. So, yeah. So, yeah, those, those that's exactly what happened. I mean, I was so thick in denial. And the other thing that I did in my addiction and understanding alcoholism now is it's not so much about the substance is what happens with my brain and, and the thinking. And what I did, um, if I wasn't drinking, I was shopping. If I wasn't shopping, I had a guy. If I had, you know, if I didn't have a boyfriend, you know, or having sex, I was, I was gambling. If I wasn't gambling, I was eating. If I wasn't eating, I wasn't eating. So I was actually medicated 24 hours a day so severely that I didn't even know how sick I was. Other people, my parents, my mom definitely knew how, how bad things were, but I couldn't see it. Again, and how, how old were you when you got sober? I, uh, I entered into my first recovery meeting of, uh, of the, the sister program yeah, Al-Anon uh, yeah. is, uh, at 18 and I came into, uh, the other program, um, when I was 22 and sobered up when I was 23. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like you still probably had a pretty, um, dramatic drinking teenage years and yes. partying and all of that. And, uh, but not really. No, I, well, yeah, I did. I did. It, my first time I drank, I got kicked out of school. I blacked out. It was ugly. I didn't drink again until I was 15. The second time I drank in my life, I was date raped. Um, I lost my virginity. Uh, again, in a sense of a blackout, I, that those days they called it Spanish fly. I just knew I woke up and I wasn't a virgin anymore. And then I didn't drink again until I was about 17 in high school. And then I became the party girl. I had all the parties. It was just one, I was just one big party girl. Yeah. There's a party, there I was. Well, so it's interesting that somehow you found yourself surrounded by other people who were in the program that got you into the meetings. Even yeah. before you thought you were ready or that you had any, it had anything to do with you, you were just there to support them. That's a big part of my story. They, they were alcoholic. There's no question. I went to doctor's <laughs> office. I two boys I went to doctor's office with were told that if they didn't stop drinking at 21, they'd be dead in a year. And so I was like, "You guys need to get your shit together." Um, but and yeah, I, you were attracted to that. But I, I associated myself around <laughs> yeah. people that were worse than me. So it was very right. difficult for me to see. And plus there were boys. Right. I was a girl, you know, like I didn't think I was mm -hmm. like them. I was a party girl. It was fun when I drank. I didn't do the insane things that these boys did. Uh, but as the truth comes out, I learned what a blackout was. I learned a lot of uh, information. I educated myself through uh, the 12-step program that I had, you know, that that's like the God doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself. That's kind of like a, the miracle of the a divine intervention, if you will. A divine intervention. And that person that actually told me about what an alcoholic was, was actually a one night stand. <laughs> Cause that's what I did, right? If I wasn't drinking, I was screwing. Right. And um, I used to have these uh, competitions with myself as sick as it sounds and be like, how quickly, um, how quickly could I get somebody in bed and he was one of them. I mean, it was it was not a very healthy. It wasn't very healthy of me. But I, yeah, that's where I was back. That's in those where days. We, no, we do when we're trying to escape, right? We don't yeah. care about what the substance is. We say it all the time. We to pull it out of the jug and 
plug it into the gambling or to the shopping or to the men or to the, you know, food. Um, there's so many different ways that we can escape. And that's the thing in our culture. It's this constant. And there are also rituals. Our culture has all these, just, you know, really silly. Or I call, I'm going to use that as a nice uh, <laughs> word to judge some of the because even now, even in colleges, there's it's just hookup. Oh, we don't get emotionally involved. We just hook up. And yeah. these cultures are not doing anything for us as a society. It's a constant, like, let's just, let's pretend, right? Let's pretend we're all okay. Um, and we're going to do whatever we can to not have to feel our pain. And we have a lot of pain in this country. And I think we've noticed that a lot during the pandemic because our mental health crises, you know, calls and suicides rates have gone up an unbelievable uh, uh, astronomical um, costs associated with or money made by package stores this past year and the drug industry too. Oh, there's no question. I mean, this and this this time now is, you know, back in the day, do you remember Mad Mad TV? Uh-huh. I, okay. I do. <laughs> these sitcoms, right? They were so funny and they make me laugh. But I remember one time they had this sitcom about this drug commercial. And it was so funny. It had us in stitches and giggles about how they're going to die and do this because of the warnings on some of these medications. Back in the day, it was probably just like Prozac or something. Uh, but nowadays, <laughs> and I, we laugh, like, oh, isn't it hilarious? But now, it's like, I can't turn the television on. It never had those types of advertisements on television ever, not when I was growing up. But now, um, whenever you're, you're, you're anything, you have to take this, you have to take that. And it, oh, and it, and it um, demonstrates to our children and our youth and even ourselves that, you know, you're not okay to walk through life you know, without having to take those things. You've got to consume yourself with these um, medications and these solutions that are quick fixes. And it really doesn't get to the source of the reasons why we're not feeling very well or emotionally unstable at the moment. And there's so many amazing, rich sources that are available that are free <laughs> that can get us to that place of healing without having to consume our bodies with... Um, yeah, substances. I'm, I, I do want to definitely say, because nowadays, I, I'm sure you've heard people say, oh, I'm clean and sober. And, and there are, you know, and I'm not here to down what other people are doing. But I do need to say that for myself, I am clean and sober of all medication, all drugs, <laughs> no alcohol. Right. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of people who say, you know, I'm, I'm sober, but yet they're smoking pot. It's, yeah. you know, it's the same thing. If it's a mood altering chemical, <laughs> you're probably yeah. not. But I also know that there are a lot of mental illnesses. Yes. Um, and I have people who are on um, depression medication, for example, and they consider themselves clean and sober. And I do believe that they are. I, yeah. you know, it, it's we can't say what's right for anybody else because there are chemical imbalances. And, you know, there's so much to that. And unless you eat like perfect, you know, diet, there's a lot of things in our food, too, that can really um, mess us up. I know, for example, I'm a sugar addict. I still am. I'm a sugar addict. We do, we're all doing the best we can with what we got, as we say. So I want to um, ask you a little bit more then. So it sounds like you were young, 23. And did you get married before? You know, How did you your family get started? 
I, I was a single mom. Um, the last night I drank, I, I was when I knew that there was a problem because I crossed those lines. I thought I would never would as a parent and uh, left him, abandoned him. It was just horrific. Uh, but that person that told me about um, how, it, you know, to tell if you're an alcoholic was that one night stand which happened to be the guy I'm married to today. <laughs> oh, wow. That so, wasn't a one night stand then, was no, it? <laughs> no, I, I tell people my part of my story is I didn't give the punchline is the longest one night stand I ever had was the one I married. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I am I am happily married today. Uh, although getting into a relationship very early in recovery, which they classify as a 13 step. And yes, he admits today that he 13 stepped me, um, wasn't necessarily the best choice. Um, it definitely stunted both of our growth because both of us came in with baggage and all of that had to be unpacked over several years, but we God willing, will be celebrating 30 years together, uh, June 18th. Oh, and, congratulations. Um, That's my yeah. anniversary too. Really? June 18th. Yes. Oh, it is. yes. oh my gosh. That's so yep. cool. And Paul oh. and I will have, we will have 33 years. Uh, wow. That's so cool. But See, we got, I know it's pretty, that's, that's amazing. And, but we got, we hooked up uh, at about <laughs> eight. We both had 18 months when we first met and we got married when we had about three year, three and a half years of sobriety. So we had done our, that first year of unpacking and healing and doing the inner work on ourselves. So we, that was a leg up for us. So I understand oh, what you probably, you had to go through in that first couple of years to, or however long to get to that place of, okay, we're, we're a team now. We're, <laughs> we're going to do the family thing and yeah, get it going. Yeah, definitely, definitely took some time and, and there's lots of healthy components. Um, I actually wrote a book I, right after I was about to leave my husband about two years ago <laughs> um, in regards to about seeking into intimacy uh, and partnership and, and the successes of why we stayed together and, um, and how we kind of overcame so many obstacles that marriages do that people don't like to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, like, uh, yeah, I'm a survivor of, of, of rape in my marriage, uh, molestation, you know, I had a lot of issues around sexual abuse from my past, uh, and being a rape survivor. And, you know, um, my husband had an inability to really understand and hear and sense uh, what was going on for me because he was so consumed with what he needed. Um, he wasn't tapped into experiencing that I was shutting down and I was frozen. Uh, so we didn't have very healthy boundaries in the bedroom. I didn't have a voice um, in regards to those things. So, you know, us going through counseling and working through all that, um, I can tell you that I'm grateful that I didn't leave him. Uh, I'm grateful that he continued to be beside me and heal his own journey. And we definitely have a healthy sex life now. <laughs> oh my goodness. That takes a lot of courage life. though, really to even talk about those things, to dig deeper. And then you wrote a book about yeah. some of that stuff. So God bless both of you for allowing yourselves to not only go through it, but now to help other people too on that same path. You know, yeah. one of the ways that we did it was um, we both got in, he got into a men's group and I got into a women's group. And so he's been doing his own separate work for many years on all of that stuff. And same with me on my path. And then, you know, we come back together when you're 
a partner like that, you um, and you do separate growth. It's not you don't always have to be that's doing it. Right, right. So, anyways, yeah. it's, that's what's worked for us. I'm so glad that you figured it out. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they told us when we got in the most important thing that, and I believe also why we're still together. Uh, is for exactly the same reasons is obviously, you know, the old timers taught us, you know, you do yours and he does his and that's what we continued and we meet in the middle um, in regards to some of the tough issues. But uh, thank God for the women <laughs> for, for my program. Yeah. So tell me about your support group and how did you create that with your you and your women? Oh, Friends. man, I'm actually thank goodness for my husband's insecurities. And he was jealous over their guys. And you know, because of course, he 13 stepped me. So he lived in that guilt of robbing me young. Um, so I actually got really pushed into women's meetings, uh, because that was where he felt comfortable at the time of me being so I thank my husband for his defects of character. That, <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> that uh, I got pushed in with the women and and, um, and I am a strong woman um uh yeah team around me i have a sponsor i have um sponsees uh that i count on to use me um god bless them for using me yeah <laughs> if it wasn't for them i mean again and i do host a meeting and i have hosted a women's meeting um pretty much probably 26 years of my sobriety every <laughs> single week week faithfully i could probably count on me, there's rarely do I ever not show up at my meeting and have and if I don't show up, I'm accountable and I have somebody else chair the meeting, but it's very rare. Wow. I have a, a women's support group too, and we've been meeting well during the pandemic, it's been every week and just but for, for over 30 years now. And it's not every week we have we met, but at least once a month and we rotate going to other people's houses. We had like we have six solid people in our group. And that's just, you know, the private sort of in intimate, close friendship um, group. But then, of course, there's the, the much larger 12 uh, step community that we're that we're involved in. So tell me about um, your purpose. What have you decided is your purpose in life, Suzanne? Actually, my purpose um, is, you know, I say this prayer every day. Uh, I'm a, a believer now. Uh, I, I classify myself as a Christian. I can't even believe that would come out of my mouth today because when I first got sober for the first 12 years of my uh, recovery, I couldn't even say the name or Christianity just made me sour taste in my mouth. Um, so, but today my purpose is to really just listen to what God's put in front of me and to be committed. And I have a covenant with him and he puts this thing behind me, seek purpose, uh, came to pasture because of him. And, and as much as I want to quit and as much as I sit there and second guess myself and get into all that stinking thinking that I continue to live with for 30 years, um, I have to keep my eyes on that relationship because people, places, and things have always hurt and disappointed me. I find a way for them to hurt and disappoint me. Um, but I know that, that my purpose is for sure to continue to build my relationship with God so he can direct me into um, the next journey um, in my moments. So what is the biggest thing that you've learned in that journey? Like, what are some of the tools that you've learned that's really helped you in your life here on earth and dealing with the egos and the personalities and everything else that we have to put up with? Actually, I have it right here. 
Um, oh, tell me. It's a, she's it's, showing it's us a tattoo. a tattoo. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. It's a tattoo um, that is with a dragonfly. God actually came to me at 11 years sober um, at a foot of a lake. Uh, and it was an undeniable experience that God is real. <laughs> like every question I ever had that God wasn't real. It came in a dragonfly. Um, and it was an incredible situation. And so what my solution is for almost all difficulties in my life is really simple. My program sums up to what would God do? What would good do? And that is what saved me. That's what saved me from um, hurting another person from saying something that was not pleasant to handling something that I'd have to trust going, okay, this is happening, but I got to trust. What would God do? You know, God would allow that situation to pass over him. And, um, you know, and I, and I really believe the purpose of why Jesus came to earth is because he, I figure this is a story I say, for those of you who don't believe it's okay, but just listen to the story. First, first thing is, is three people were on the cross when Jesus died. One of them was a drunkard. The first person into the gates of heaven is a drunkard. And I believe that the enemy, the, if you believe in the devil said, I don't think so. <laughs> he is going to destroy those drunkards. And that's what I believe Satan and the enemy and addiction lives through. So the second thing is, is the fact that when um, Jesus came here, it was almost God just before he came, God was so sick and tired of listening to us and us, poor us, poor us, poor us. He's like, damn it, I'm coming down there and I'm going to show you people how it's done. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to sin. <laughs> so I'm going to be the example for you people to learn. And that example was love. And, uh, and so I love that the fact that the only human on the planet that's remembered and talked about in 2000 years is the fact that it is Jesus Christ. And um, so I keep it real simple. I keep it love. What would God do? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that does make it, uh, you know, easy, especially if you know, if those are your highest values and you're constantly living by those values, then you can feel that alignment with your heart and your head and your body and keep moving forward. And it feels, it feels really good. And also all those particular vibrations will also attract to you more and more opportunities to help people, right? As you and know, more attacks. <laughs> <laughs> and, Actually, more what, and more attacks and more attacks like every time i always talk to people because women you know i we you know you've been around you know that there's so much labor births through recovery right i mean there's there, there's in recovery the journey of recovery there's always something that's birthing in us um mm -hmm. and the labor pains before we're birthed into that next level or that next um, growth splurt is painful. It's so painful. And I call it the ring of fire of recovery. And, um, you know, I've got to pass through because if any mother that's given birth <laughs> without any medication, it is the ring of fire and it's painful. But boy, when you push past the pain and that child comes on you, the most incredible sensation, the most euphoric fourth dimension experience. And that's what my recovery has been. This last weekend with Just for 24 was a prime example of that because last week I was under attack after attack after attack because when we bring love to the world, you know, the enemy doesn't want it. <laughs> so, so tell a little more about Just for 24. What was it and what happened? Just for 24 is really, um, again, 
the world always wants us to focus on when you're not right. Um, take this when you're going through always the negative almost, right? Um, and what Just for 24 is, is just as much in recovery that we've got to learn to heal and grow and have those moments. We also have to have the joy. We also have to have the fun. And so little's talked about that on a consistent basis. You know, it's always the poor me's and the, the boo-hoo's, the pains and the broken. And um, we have to start showing the joy in a public way. So Just for 24 was birthed because for 24 hours, let's focus on the good. Let's focus on the joy. If I didn't find the joy, I'm sure if you didn't find the joy, there's no way we would have stayed sober the you know three decades or three decades or you're probably coming up four decades. Um, <laughs> like who would who would stay and put a plug in the jug if we didn't experience some euphoric, amazing, fun life sober? So yeah. that's what Just for Tour for Twenty Four is about. I really understand what you're saying because. Um, I do believe that we've all been through hell when we were in the throes of the disease of alcoholism and, you know, whether it was you in denial or me, you know, we were blaming people, places and things for our discomfort. We were uh, ignoring our pain because we didn't want to feel our pain, but our pain is here to help us. It's to help us to grow and expand. And I think our purpose here um, can be absolute joy and love and expansion all the time, but we have to constantly battle that ego voice in our head that is telling us we're not good enough and maybe we're not going to be loved or we have to do something to please somebody else because again, we're not, never feeling enough. And that's the ego voice. I think of fear. And so once I'm able to surrender to my definition of a higher power, I'm able to really let go of, um, judgment about my emotions that come up about all of that stuff but it takes a long time because we have to forgive we have to forgive other people because we're betrayed all the time right we're constantly betrayed and if if we can at least in my opinion right if we can get past the other person's ego too. And we see that they're just a hurt person trying to figure it out. They don't, you know, especially if they're unconscious or they're still in the throes of alcohol, drug and addiction. How many times, Suzanne, this past 2020, this year, have you said, oh, thank God, I am not living that life in this pandemic. Like, you know, we were able to see so many beautiful things that occurred in 2020. And there are so many other people who just, all they saw was the negative destruction. There is good in every single one of us that God good is in every single one of us that it's just covered up with either that fear or ego or it's, it's, we're shining our light. And so that's, I think what our purpose is, where my purpose is, is to shine that light, to go out and help other people to see that there is another way. And it is undoubtedly love and faith and trust. And these are the principles and the tools that we learn in recovery that really lend themselves to leadership, whether that's with your sponsees or with your family and your, and you know, I know as a mom and especially a mom of special needs kids that you have unconditional love. You, you practice it. You get to practice it all the time. So um, tell me a little bit about what that's been like for you and your family and some that's of the gifts that you've gotten from that. 
the gifts from that community of people, that demographic of sensational blessings that I believe God brought here. And we, you know, there's so much pity going, oh, poor them. Oh, no, no, no. They were brought here, I have discovered firsthand, to teach me how to love free, how to be um, confident, how to have self-esteem. These people are so okay with who they are. They, um, they have arguments, they have life. My daughter's always arguing with her girlfriends. By the time us parents are trying to figure it out, they're already hugging it out. <laughs> you know, like they're joyful. They have no worries about putting a roof over their head, changing their pocket. Um, <clears throat> you know, they, um, there, yeah, when I left my career, I, I was so trying as a special needs mom to put my daughter and be like all the other kids and all the other families. And it wasn't until I surrendered to the fact that it's not going to be that way. And I needed to start learning to live in my daughter's world, opposed to her trying to live in my world. And since I made that decision um, in 2012, um, it's changed the existence of the way I live. And um, I'm grateful for her. Actually, we have Zoom parties. I've got one planned next week. And we, I, I get all the kids, I mean, I'm, they call me Snow White. My daughter and her special need community <clears throat> be having nicknames. And they, I don't know why they named me Snow White. And I didn't understand it until we went, um, we're at the mall. Because I always have seven kids with me. I, I don't oh! just have my daughter. I have, I, that's not the reason at all, actually. Seven um, dwarfs. I, they, yeah, the seven dwarfs. I always have kids with me. I'm always, um, I, I can't wake up and not think of, as you say, the purpose of giving back. I can't stop. God's put that in my heart. And doesn't matter what I touch or what I do, I always has to consist of trying to carry some sort of a message uh, to bring people um, closer to their experience of the day or their life or their creator or whatever it is. So, so yeah. what advice would you give somebody who's, um, you know, gotten solid in their sobriety? They're not struggling with sobriety anymore, but they're trying to figure out what their purpose is, either in their career or in life. What advice would you give them? The best way that I learned to really experience my true authentic self is when even back the 11 years that I experience a higher power. My higher power started with a, uh, a willow tree and just a conversation. Trust was important. Learning to forgive, learning to trust was number one. And if I didn't have trust, I, I, I would struggle in every area of my life. And I still struggle if I am taking myself will, my, my will back, so to speak. So I always encourage uh, my sponsees. I let them know my job um, is not to be your person to tell you what to do. No, I'm going to be a witness for this growth that's going to happen with you. And how you're going to get that growth is by reading this book, doing as it says, and experiencing a relationship with your creator. And what that creator is, is none of my goddamn business. <laughs> but I just want you to grasp onto that and you will be just fine. So that's what I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I say that a lot um, with my clients too. And it, it is, it's just, and my sponsees, it's such, um, it's such a gift to be able to be a witness. Yeah. Yeah. And so many people with the pathways nowadays, you know, and I, I use the same thing is, and this is what helps me for those people that are like, this is the only way I have to do this way. I have to do that way. I let people know you're not sure what's going to happen 
and you and I have both been around a long time and I have seen incredible things happen to people. If someone's waking up one day and wanting to actually do methadone or take this or do that or smoke weed and drink, as long as they're consciously making an effort to do something positive of change, we don't know what their higher power has got in store for them. Who knows? Maybe that's the beginning of their journey to find out this is not the way for them and they're going to come to another solution. And we've got to make sure all of those pathways of recovery of solution are open and without judgment. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and same thing with their relationship with God. I don't push on my, you know, what I, I believe in Jesus. And, you know, I, I give a joke going, I hated Jesus. And now he's on my wall. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> but I, I, I used to call myself a, a born again pagan. There you go. <laughs> and a recovering Catholic, I called myself for a while. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, now I'm I'm a student of A Course in Miracles. And it's basically been written by, you know, uh, the man who called himself Jesus. So it's yeah. divinely written. There's no doubt in my mind. And it's all oh, yeah. about how to find. How, it's all about salvation, which is basically forgiveness. It's just forgiveness. We have to just constantly do that. So I want to um, thank you so much, but I have one more question before we end. So in this past year, 2020, or or the pandemic, it's past year of the pandemic, what has been your greatest gift or the thing you're most grateful for? I would have to say in 2020, the most grateful I have is experiencing a different way, how resilient uh, the recovery community is how resilient I have been on seeking out uh, continued connection that I, I I was against. I was like, no way um, on social media, on coming out loud and recovery. I was like a very hard nose, anonymous person to the book traditions. Da, da, da. I didn't understand it completely. And now the gift for me this year is seeing the relationships I personally built. I mean, look at we've met yeah. through social media and that so many have taken to stand up and, um, you know, be a strong cushion for so many people that are needing help has just been remarkable. Yeah, because we have to be leaders. We have to, um, I think, step out and say, okay, country or world, um, this is what it looks like to be sober. And we're very high functioning people in this country, in this society, and you don't have to do what you're doing. You don't have to live like that anymore. We can show you how without, you know, dictating a certain way, just, uh, just being an example. So thank you so much for being such an awesome example, Suzanne, for this wonderful conversation, for coming on the podcast today. Thanks, Maureen. It's been amazing. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learn in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters.